Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. Welcome, everyone. Glad that you're here. Uh, we usually teach in a series, so we're in a series called 90. We're counting down to Easter, and today's topic is the New World Order, and hopefully it'll make a little more sense in a few minutes. So I want to start off by kind of catching us up. We're looking at the life of Jesus up to his crucifixion and resurrection, but with a specific theme that we're looking at. We can look at lots of different things, but this is our theme that we've been looking at, put it on the screen. Jesus came to introduce something brand new, not just to the world, but for the world. And this was radical, the fact that it was for the world, because he was Jewish. The Jews were waiting for the Messiah to come just for them. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. I've come for you. I've come for the world. Now, the fascinating thing, if you go back and look at it, this little group of Jewish converts they would have been heretics to, the, to Judaism because they didn't believe in Jesus. They had no power. They had no building. <laughs> they had no scriptures. There was no New Testament yet. And within three, over, a little over 300 years, the empire that crucified them, the Roman Empire, declared Christianity the religion of the empire and outlawed all the religions. How amazing, how impossible is that? But that's exactly what happened. And the early church was stuck between the temple, the power of Judaism, and the power of Rome. They combined to crucify Jesus. And yet, he turned, through the church, he turned the world upside down. So we talked about Jesus, John the Baptist or baptizer coming and with this brand new message. You didn't have to go to the temple. You could be... And then he was baptizing people, which was kind of weird. And then he was the opening act or the forerunner of Jesus. So Jesus came along and taught a lot, of, a lot of new stuff, weird stuff. Last week we called it upside down. It just seems the opposite of what they were taught in the past and what we might think. <clears throat> John gathered a crowd and then he kind of wanted to pass it off to Jesus, but Jesus then took off for 40 days. We talked about that last week and uh, <clears throat> didn't get sidetracked from his mission and then he comes back and starts teaching and he gathers his own crowd. So that's where we're going to pick it up this morning in Luke chapter 7. So Jesus is there. He's, he's teaching all this uh, new stuff, upside down stuff. And he was gathering a crowd and they were filled with awe and praise God. But notice their thinking. This is important. How did they see Jesus? Well, they saw him as a great prophet, has appeared among us. And God has come to help his people. Who would be his people? To be the Jews, okay? So he didn't see him as the Messiah. He didn't see him as the Savior of the world. He saw him as a great prophet like Isaiah and some of the others. And he came to help us. Not everybody, just us. He's just for us. Now Jesus, all through his teachings, gave hints and he told parables and he taught other things. Telling him, no, 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 no. That's not the way it's going to be. He called it a new kingdom, uh, internal kingdom, not an external kingdom. And he said, no, 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 it's more than what you think or what you thought. I'm here for everybody, not just these people. Now, mostly I want to focus on something that's called the Sermon on the Mount. This is, a, some believe, a collection of teachings of Jesus, the Jesus themes that Jesus taught about repeatedly. We have it recorded in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Luke has part of it recorded there. And uh, this is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he's teaching all these upside-down things, radical things, things that 
made people think just the opposite. And at the beginning, we have a thing called the Beatitudes, and he just starts off with the, uh, we're going to look at two of them, not all of them. He gives us two that are just completely upside down in, in the thinking of the religious thinking of his day. Uh, just kind of mind-boggling. Uh, we don't have everything Jesus taught. We have like we call highlights. Uh, so this is some of the highlights of what Jesus taught. So let's pick that up in Luke chapter 6, verse 20. Jesus turned to his disciples and said, God blesses you who are poor. Whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Why would I be poor if God's blessing me? All those guys, uh, Abraham, he was blessed by God, but he was rich. And uh, Joseph eventually was rich. And David was certainly rich, and Solomon was certainly rich. So in their thinking, they equated being rich with blessings from God. So wait a minute, wait a minute. Poor people aren't blessed by God, or they wouldn't be poor. And then he says, for the kingdom of God is yours. Wait a minute, wait a minute. (laughs) We don't even know if God cares about us. We don't know if God's including us. Again, because we are poor. So the people in the big houses that are rich, we know God likes them. But does God care about us? And he said, yes, yes, yes. You are, more imp- are just as important as they are. Physical poorness is not a hindrance to being part of this new kingdom. Now, that sounded crazy to them. But that was good news to the poor people because, again, they thought God didn't care about them. So we're going to do one others, and then we'll move on. And you can read these for yourself in Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> it is the people that go to the temple and offer their sacrifices, and, and they put money in the offering plate, and they uh, fast, and they read their Bible, memorize their Bible, the Old Testament. Uh, aren't these the people that God really blesses and, and, and see God? And the problem with all that is what? It's all external, right? These are things you can see me do. You don't know what's really in here. You just see me going through these motions. And so they were taught, you know, even if they, you know, touched a dead person, they couldn't, couldn't, they were disconnected from God. And if they hadn't confessed their sin, they were disconnected with God. And, and so this is all external stuff. And he says, no, 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 no. It's all about the internal. <laughs> it's all about how you feel and think and act, eventually act. And he says, if your hearts are pure... And you see it in all the people that Jesus interacted with. They weren't necessarily very (laughs) uh, religious people on the outside. But this isn't about religion. This is about a relationship with God. And he says, no, no, no. If your hearts are pure, you're connected with God. You will see God. And then after he lists these seven or eight or nine of them, I don't have any beatitudes there. I didn't count them. Then he jumps into a theme which we've heard, most of us have heard before, but Again, it's just kind of upside down uh, to his audience, to a Jewish audience. Um, Next verse. You, speaking to the Jewish audience, you are the salt of the earth. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. (laughs) We don't want to be the salt of the earth. In fact, you're teaching us we were supposed to stay separate from the earth or from the world. You know, we don't marry them. We're not even supposed to go, you know, have a meal in their house. If you're not Jewish, you know, we've got to separate ourselves. Our, kids, our children can't marry your children and vice versa. Uh, we're not the, supposed to be the salt of the earth. Even though there is that teaching of the Old Testament, they've kind of missed it. 
And then he said, what good is salt if it's lost its flavor and you can't make it salty again? Which is kind of condemning, seems to, what, seems to be. He said, you're the salt of the earth. You're supposed to impact. You're supposed to influence. You're supposed to uh, have an effect on the whole earth, not just Jewish people. And he uses another <clears throat> illustration. You're salt. He says also you're supposed to be light to the world. Again, no, no, no. We don't want to be light to the world. We just want to focus on, we would say, our holy huddle, people just like us, people that are Jewish. He said, no, 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 no. <laughs> you are to be the light for the whole world. And he says, a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. Interesting thing about light is light puts out darkness. Darkness can't put out light. And then he follows or uh, uh, fleshes out this illustration a little bit more. He says, in the same way, let your good deeds, what? Shine out and people see them. For who? For all to see. Again, this isn't just for, for the in crowd. This isn't just for us or people like this. This is for everybody. So go out, and we'll see this instruction later. Go out to all the world so that they'll praise your heavenly Father. Well, no, we don't care if they praise our heavenly Father. As long as we praise. He's, he's our heavenly Father. No, 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 no. He's not just your heavenly Father. He's supposed to be everybody's heavenly Father. So at this point, Jesus knew that his audience knew that this was something completely new, brand new. This was something seemingly upside down from what they understood or what they were taught or what they believed. So then, what about, in their case, their Bible? They didn't call it their Bible. They didn't call it the Old Testament because there was no New Testament. Here's what they called it. They called it the Law of Moses and the Writings of the Prophets. And we're going to see that in the next verse. So he says, okay, don't misunderstand me. I'm saying this stuff. It all seems upside down, radical, different. He said, don't misunderstand me. Why well, I've come. I did not come to, a, you know, abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. We would say our Old Testament. I didn't come to, to, to abolish them, but I did come for a different reason. I came to accomplish their purpose. Some translations say fulfill. All right. So this is why I've come. So what was the purpose of the law of Moses and the writings of the prophets. Well, it was to help the people connect with God. It was also to prophesy the coming Messiah that would do this new thing, operate differently. So then it goes on. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear. So it's never going away. It's good stuff. Until... So, it's good until when? <laughs> a certain time. So when was the time? Until its purpose is achieved. So when was the purpose of the Old Testament achieved? Easter. When the tomb is empty. The purpose was achieved. Now, we look at the Old Testament laws. There's three categories of law. There's ceremonial law about going to the temple and what you're supposed to do and so forth. Now, <clears throat> I believe the whole Bible is inspired, and it's all, but it's not all the same importance. And all of us probably look at that stuff and say, that's not important. 
There is civil laws like, you know, how are you supposed to interact? I'm reading the Old Testament now. And when you killed somebody accidentally, there was a city you could run to to be safe. Or cities. All right. Now, that has no meaning to me today. I don't think it has any meaning to you either. Uh, some of it was uh, customs. So again, there's whole sections of the Old Testament that, again, are inspired, but they have no meaning or purpose to me. And then there's the moral law, and that's like the Ten Commandments, and that's all helpful and good and still applicable today, right? <clears throat> but important question. If you're Jesus following, if you're not, we're glad that you're here, and we understand why you struggle with some of these things in the Bible, because I do. <laughs> but um, what was the purpose? Are we under the law? No. What are we under? If you're a Jesus follower, you're not under the law anymore. You're under Jesus, if you will, but we call it under grace. Whole different system. That's what we're talking about. Jesus came to do something completely different, something new. So the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, the law and the prophets, best way I can explain is this. It has an expiration date. And when Jesus rose from the dead, that system expired. The reason it expired because there was something new and way, way better. And when Jesus said it wasn't going to disappear, the interesting thing is probably 30 or 40 years later, 70 AD, the Roman Empire comes into Jerusalem and destroys the temple. And true Judaism hasn't been practiced since 70 AD because you must have a temple to practice Judaism. It hasn't. So it did come to an end literally 30 or 40 years later. So what am I saying? Let me try and summarize it here. Jesus was born under the old God's covenant with Israel. He was a Jew born under the law. He came to fulfill it. He, he's the only person ever lived that <laughs> kept all his rules, right? But he put it into it. And he replaced it with something way, again, way, way better. A system that was once for all complete. Now, if you were Jewish in Jesus' time, this would be really, really difficult. Jesus is challenging things you've believed all your life. Foundational things. But it's interesting because the church has struggled with these things all the way up to, up to till today. Then so Jesus says, okay, okay, let me summarize, let me sum up what the law says. And most of you are going to recognize this. We have a name for this, and uh, this verse we're going to read next. Do to others whatever you would, want, would like them to do for you. What's that called? Golden rule, right? Most of us know that. He said, all right, this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Now, if I told you to summarize the Old Testament, how would you do it? Well, be nice or be good to people. I don't know what I would say. But Jesus in his, his wisdom said this awesome thing. And notice it's a positive thing. He could have said, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. But we're supposed to be positive. We're supposed to be preactive. He said, proactive. He says, do. Don't just sit there. Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. All right? That kind of sums it up. That'll keep you busy. But here's the thing. That's way less complicated, right? You don't have to memorize or learn 600-some rules. But it's a lot more demanding, isn't it? Harder. 
And he gives six illustrations, and I'm only just going to cover one, where he says, you heard it been said, or it's been written, ba-da-da-da-da. This is one we'll cover. You heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. It's one of the Ten Commandments, right? If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, wait a minute, wait a minute. (laughs) That's Moses. Moses is like right here under God. And if Moses said that, that certainly should be good enough for us. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. You misunderstand the purpose behind these rules. But I say to you, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Wait a minute. I've, anybody here killed anybody? Probably you wouldn't raise your hand if you had. Probably nobody had killed anybody, right? So hey, I can check that one off. I don't. I, I haven't. You know, I've been married for forty some years. I've never, you know, cheated on my wife physically. That's one another one's about that. But when I understand the intent of that commandment, uh oh, I broke that one. Too many times, lots of times, right? I got angry lots of times. So here's the difference. The problem with the law is this. I'm looking for loopholes. I'm looking for, yeah, yeah, I I did good enough with that thing. I never killed anybody. But I've certainly had anger in my heart, hatred in my heart. Well, that's just as bad. So Jesus is saying, self-control is good. I didn't literally kill anybody. But more important is, again, internal. Uh, Mental control and emotional control. We'd say spiritual control. And so, instead of feeling pretty good about myself because I haven't murdered anybody, I'm not feeling so good about myself because I've gotten angry a lot. Consequently, I need, we would say, help. or I need a savior to save me from myself. So, again, we're just kind of skipping through this. Hopefully, you'll take some time this week, if not this afternoon, just read three chapters in Matthew, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, <clears throat> and you get this whole summation of this upside-down teaching of Jesus, this new, new world order. Um, so here's a summary at the end. It says this. Jesus finished teaching. The crowds were amazed at his teaching. Again, this was completely different than what they had been taught, what they had heard, and what they understood. For he taught with real authority, or a certain power to this, a certain rightness about it that people couldn't ignore. Not like the teachers of the religious law that they'd heard over and over again and really had an impact their life. Okay, so you, 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 you've kind of attacked the Old Testament, Jesus. But what about the temple? We're in Jerusalem, and the temple is the greatest thing on earth. This is the place where God is. This is where we can connect with God. And later on, Jesus says something again. We don't understand how radical this is, how disturbing it would be, what uh, emotions it would bring about, what conflict, internal conflict would bring. I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple. Who's the one? Talking about himself, right? (laughs) He didn't say, I am. He said, there's one here, me, that's greater than the temple. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Nothing's greater than the temple. And if there's something greater than the temple, we don't need the temple, do we? Again, it's just, it just sounds like blasphemy. Now, all this upside down teaching, is it important? If you grew up in church basically like I did since I was a teenager, I've kind of figured most of the stuff out, I think. But I've been a pastor for 40 years, 
and, and American society has changed. 40 years ago, most people, whether they went to church or not, believed the Bible was God's word. Didn't read it, but they believed it, okay? Not true anymore. Most people you talk to, especially younger, younger folks, they don't know anything about the Bible. They don't believe there's anything special about it. So how important it is that we make sure they understand there's not about all that stuff, because most people argue with me about stuff. It's mostly in the Old Testament. So if we're going to reach unchurched people, if we're going to connect them with Jesus, we've got to make sure they understand what's important. So I like to kind of make you folks think a little bit, so I'm going to put a couple things up here on the screen. There's no conflict between the Old and New Testament. Is that true? Kind of a trick question. Jesus said they're irreconcilable. <laughs> Didn't he? We're not under the law. The law can't get you to God. How do you get to God? Through Jesus. They're irreconcilable. They're both inspired. Same God, but they're irreconcilable. Here's another one. The Bible is our guide for life. Jesus say that? Jesus never said that. So I got trying to think, well, what would Jesus have said or what did he say that would be better than saying this? Here's what I came up with. This is John chapter 14. Here's what he would say. I am the way, the truth, and life. It's all about me. No one can come to the Father except through me. It's all about Jesus. We know about Jesus from our Bible. We said this many times before. The, the church turned the world upside down without a Bible. About the time it became a state religion of Rome, that's when our New Testament was put together. So, Jesus did all this teaching. He's crucified, he's resurrected. And if you saw somebody die and three days later come back to life, I pretty much think you're going to believe what they say, aren't you? That's authority. So he has a farewell address in the end of Matthew. And again, about this new order, this upside down. So let's look at that. It's just three verses. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven on earth. It's Scripture talks about this crowd, maybe 500 disciples, not just 12 disciples. All authority. Again, you resurrected from the dead, yes, you got my attention. Uh, therefore, got your attention? I've got all authority. I'm God. Therefore, <laughs> I'm the boss. We say Lord and Savior. I'm the boss. You need to do what I say. Or we might think about it military terms. Your commanding officer says something to you. What do you say back? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> it's so interesting to me. So often we read these things and say, eh, I don't know if I want to believe that or not. I don't want to do that or not. It, it's optional. It's not optional if you're a Jesus follower. It's not optional. So what's the first thing he says to do? Go. Now, is that just for missionaries? Who's he talking to? All his followers. We're all supposed to go. You may not go overseas like we, we have. 
Certainly you can go to Cleveland or, or New York City or whatever for a short period of time. You can always move someplace else in North America. But all of us need to and should and hopefully are going to our neighbors and going to our relatives and going to our coworkers and, and fellow students, etc. All nations. There are people in all kinds of nations, all kinds of cultures, in all kinds of languages worshiping Jesus Christ. This guy that died 2,000 years ago. And this weird thing about the baptizing, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not in the name of the Moses or not in the name of the law, but Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, if you're a Jesus follower, you should be baptized. Because the commanding officer said do it, right? We should be baptizing people. And then he goes on, teach these new disciples to obey what? Moses, Old Testament, the law? That's not what he says, is it? What are they to obey? What are you and I to obey? The commands I have given you, like the golden rule. And love one another just as I have loved you. Forgive one another just as I have forgiven you. And we've talked about a lot of these things. That's what we're supposed to teach them. And he says, be sure of this, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. <clears throat> so, do you need the old? I've got old, worn out clothes and I buy new clothes. Do I need the old clothes? No, I don't need the old clothes. I've got something way better, way more functional, way more useful. So I don't need the old. We've got something way better. We have a resurrected Jesus. So I put the last thing on your outline is this. Christianity can and has and will stand on its own two nail-scarred, resurrected feet. You don't have to believe in a resurrected Jesus. We can discuss that. Because that's the basis of faith. All the other stuff... Not so much. So let me ask you. What does your faith stand on? And if we're honest, for most of us, there's a combination, isn't there? Some of that old with the new. And I want to challenge you to make sure your faith stands solely on the nail-scarred, resurrected feet of Jesus. We'll continue this again. Counting down to Easter. Hope you can join us next week. We'll have a prayer and, and uh, we'll have a song and let you go. <clears throat> Father God, thank you. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you so much for this new way of doing things because deep down inside, it really resonates with us. It makes sense to us that certainly, God, you would bless the poor as much as the rich. That uh, we should do good to everyone that we would expect them to do for us. Uh, just a lot of wisdom, a lot of helpful stuff. But most of all, that we can't do anything to fix our problem relationship with you, God. So you fixed it for us. Jesus fixed it for us. And it's grace. It's a gift. It's free. And just, we just have to accept it. And then we, we are connected with you. Uh, so God, I want to pray for anybody here this morning that, that hasn't stepped across the line, haven't accepted that grace gift, that amazing offer to say I died for your sins so you could have a relationship with me God most of us here are, are, are Jesus followers and 
for most of us, this is a struggle. Where's the line? How much of that quote-unquote old stuff is still helpful to us today? So help us figure that out, God, because it's so easy to fall into what we call legalism. And again, the problem with that is when I can check the box off, I feel good about myself. I feel like I've done it, and it brings about pride, and it brings about a judgmental spirit, both which you hate, God. We need to be humbled. Not feel bad about ourselves, but realize that all we are and all we can be is because of you, Jesus. Again, thank you that you loved us that much. In your name we pray, amen.